Welcome to Indie Matters, the show from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, up here in Reno. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis down in Las Vegas. On this week's episode, I sit down with reporter Naoka Foreman to talk about the issues Nevada is facing when it comes to child care, from underpaid staff to staffing shortages and solutions the state is looking at. After that, reporter Sean Golonka has a breakdown of the race for Congressional District 3 between incumbent Democrat Susie Lee and her Republican opponent, April Becker. At the end of the show, I am joined by our former colleague, Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez, who now works for Kaiser Health News. She's been reporting on a needle exchange program in Elko. Reporter Naoka Foreman has been digging into the topic of childcare in Nevada recently. The job of a childcare worker pays little and is in short supply right now. Parents have been struggling to find places that will take care of their children as people return to the office after the pandemic work from home efforts lessen. The shortage affects everyone, and if a family can find a place to leave their child, it's often far away and expensive. The state got millions in funding from COVID relief dollars to bolster our childcare system in the state, but that money is temporary and childcare needs more than a band-aid to help the floundering system maintain a level of supply for families returning to work. So childcare is it's one of those topics that a lot of professionals, they want us to start viewing it differently. They want us to see it as something that is a part of the community, something that helps children become more socially and emotionally ready for, you know, life, to become adults, to contribute to society. In Nevada, lawmakers have been already focusing on beefing up our childcare system. But when the pandemic hit, it created a perfect storm and, and really disrupted what was being built. But recently, COVID dollars have been helping them kind of restore, get back to where they were. But now we see that it's it's an even bigger issue that needs to be addressed in Nevada. Yeah. And so I guess my one big question is, do we, do we have enough child care in Nevada for everyone? Is, is there a shortage of it? Yeah, there's a shortage. There's a shortage of child care. I mean, they're calling it a crisis. They're saying it's a child care crisis and that we have child care deserts. And child care deserts means that there's a certain area or zip code where it's really hard to find child care. And there's also been some shortages to where if a parent is looking for child care, they can end up on the wait list. So yeah, there's a shortage. There's a shortage of teachers. There's a shortage of the actual schools and daycares. And they want us to start thinking about it as early childhood education, more that they're learning, not just being, you know, they're not babysitters. They're actually educators who are taking the time to teach and help children learn. And so one thing that you mentioned was certain zip codes, you know, specifically have shortages of childcare. So this is, is it kind of an equity issue where some people have more access to childcare than others? Is it not an, an equal access for, for everyone? I would say in general, people who need childcare most often are working people, people who work a job, people who clock in. That tends to be someone who maybe a single parent, or they may be in a household where both parents have to work. So, you know, it's already a need that some people have to pay for, and it's expensive. So that is an equity issue, because now you have to spend money for childcare so that you can work, so that you can provide for your family. 
the pandemic helped a little bit with that, right? Because people were working from home. But has that changed as we're kind of coming out of this pandemic a bit? As people have been getting back to work after the pandemic, that's when it was revealed that it was a, a, a crisis. That's when people understood how big of a crisis it was, was when people started to get back to work. And when people are looking and they might get waitlisted or maybe the child care center is far away from them, the transportation to, to child care is also a problem. Some child care facilities in certain areas, certain zip codes are, are full. Now you have to seek other options or you might be waitlisted for that particular place. And now you have to figure it out. So, you know, we we're talking about the child care centers, but a lot of the problem, too, is that there's just not enough workers, right? Because they're not paid well. Is, is that is that correct? Yeah. Early childhood professionals, it's changed over time is what I'm hearing from people who have been educators in this field for over 20 years is that the quality of teachers has changed over the years. I guess back in the day or, or maybe about 20 years ago, teachers were passionate about teaching children. They were invested in the profession. But now, because of the shortages, these are just hiring people who will work the job. And then now there's a high turnover rate in the field as well that they have to continuously replenish. So a lot of directors of child care centers are looking for those people who want to be in early childhood education. They want to educate children. They're passionate about the field. And that's where they've been having an issue. So what's the solution? Is, is, there, is there a solution? You know, kind of how, how are we mending this issue of a lack of early childhood education? There's a lot of cool stuff going on in Nevada as far as child care. And advocates are just, you know, they hope that it continues because a lot of the funding that's been coming in to address these problems will end in 2024. But there's been some cool stuff going on, like there's two child care hubs that was launched this year in Nevada, one in Reno, one in Las Vegas. And those child care hubs streamline all of the entities and agencies that service child care, provide that support, provide help with business licensing or even curriculum. So it's this one stop shop and it's digital. So it's accessible, it's digital, it's online. It's powered by a company called Wonder School. Wonder School is a black founded child care resource organization. What it does is it creates child care resources online, but it also creates community online. So a parent can hop online on Wonder School and find different child care centers in their area. And the child care professionals are also online and they can find those resources that they need. They can learn about new resources that may be coming into the state. So it's addressing some problems in child care and, and it looks pretty promising. But yeah, once again, um, advocates and professionals are just worried about those funds that will that will sunset in 2024. Yeah. So let's talk about those funds a little bit. How much funding this is this is COVID relief dollars that, that the state got for specifically child care, right? Yeah, the state has poured money into child care to address these problems twice. So initially what they did was put $50 million towards expanding the child care subsidy for families who make higher incomes. And after that, the child care hubs were launched to address the needs of child care. So now after they launched the child care hubs, they also launched a 12-week program to get more professionals in the business to open up a home daycare center 
And they also gave each person in that program a $10,000 grant. And so, you know, that that grant and that training was kind of to help bolster the shortage, the, the, the desert that we're in. I know that in your story that's coming out soon, you talk about the pay for childcare professionals and how it's, it's pretty low. I mean, we're looking at maybe $18 an hour at the high end. How are they attracting people to work? Yeah, that was that was a lot of questions that people in the field were asking. You know, that's the main issue is getting those professionals on board with the work. And people are making between, well, starting off, people are making between nine to $13 an hour. If you have a degree or experience, you can you can make up to $18 an hour and you have inflation. You have all these different things going on that people can barely survive off of that low pay. Overall, they said that the job needs to be more marketable. And I mean, it could be more marketable probably with more pay. In terms of childcare educators, and, and that's probably the term that we have to start using more if we want to help make this industry more marketable is to start using terms like that because the industry is focused on building the social emotional wellness of children. And over time, they professionalized that industry. So now with the Strong Start program, you actually have the ongoing training for educators. All right. Well, Naoka, thank you so much for joining me today and explaining, you know, the complicated nature of childcare in Nevada. Hopefully, you know, it gets better for parents as we move forward and make sure to follow us on the Nevada Independent for more of your reporting as you follow this, this issue moving forward. So thanks. Thank you for having me. So we now go from an issue facing Nevada to two women who both say they have what it takes to help lead and solve some of the state's problems. Yeah, that's right. And so we're going to talk about Congressional District 3, something that you've actually done a lot of reporting on. Isn't that right, Jacob? That's right. So uh, Nevada's Congressional District 3 has for about a decade been one of the most competitive congressional districts in the state because even though it has a slight Republican advantage when you look just at voter registration, it's actually been represented by a Democrat since 2016 and for the last two cycles has been represented by Democrat Susie Lee. And this year, Lee is running against Republican April Becker. Yeah, so Jacob, you actually covered this in the last cycle in 2020. What was that race like? Well, 2020 was a heck of a year for anyone who might recall, and in in the District 3 race in particular, I think it was a, a really tight battle between Lee and Rodimer. the difference being that Lee was an established candidate with an incumbent advantage and a lot, a lot of money. Uh, that advantage dwindled as we got closer, and certainly Rodimer was helped a little bit by his relationship uh, with the Republican Party as sort of like a pro-Trump party, right, if we think about how the presidential race affected things. But frankly, if you look at the margins, right, Joe Biden was able to win Nevada, and Susie Lee was able to hold on in 2020. All right, well, let's let's jump into what's going on this year. Um, and I talked to reporter Sean Galanka, who's been reporting on uh, April Becker and Susie Lee's uh, face-off, and so we're going to jump over to that now. Alrighty, well, I am here with reporter Sean Galanka, and we are talking about Congressional District 3, one of a few big congressional races here in Nevada, between Susie Lee and April Becker. 
Where is District 3 to start off? Yeah, so District 3, located entirely within Clark County, mostly taking up the western part of Clark County, but you get a lot of these wealthier suburbs and like the Summerlin area and kind of along like the 215 Beltway. So a lot of suburban voters, really, and you have a large number of white voters. Relative to the other districts, there's a lot of AAPI voters in that district, especially after redistricting. It's been really the state's swingiest district throughout its history. Going back to 2016, Democrats have held the district. That year, Jackie Rosen won. Susie Lee, she first won the district in 2018, defeating Danny Tarkanian. Then in 2020, she defeated Dan Rodemer. Now here we are, her looking at running for a third term representing Congressional District 3. With redistricting in the fall, we saw a a few more Democratic voters added into the district to bolster that Dem voter registration advantage. Because this has historically been such a swingy district, and just given the political environment, unpopular President Joe Biden, it's really a, a nationally targeted district. There's a lot of money has flown in and it's going to be flowing in from national Republicans and Democrats as Republicans see this as a a district to flip while Democrats are defending one of these frontline seats in the House. What is Susie Lee's history? Who is she as a person before she was a politician? So she's for a long time worked in education. She was an education philanthropist. She founded an organization called Community in Schools Nevada, and, and that was targeted at keeping students in school. So her background with that is, is really in education. And that's something that she's she's brought to Congress. But she's also fought in Congress for a number of other issues. Like she, she focuses on water issues and the drought here in, in the Southwest. She's put forward some legislation this session about water recycling projects and, and that sort of thing. Let's let's talk about what her big running points. What are like her big talking points right now? What is she running on? Yeah, so I mean, one of the the main parts of her campaign is is abortion access. I'm going to be very clear on this that it is a woman's decision with her doctor and it should not be in politicians' hands. We saw her first main ad campaign after the primary election was a half million dollar buy related to abortion, basically casting this race as a, quote, stark choice between herself, a pro-abortion access, pro-choice politician, and then putting her opponent, April Becker, as a anti-choice politician, basically. Susie Lee has really been drawing the line on abortion But she's also played into national Democrats are hoping that their vulnerable House members talk about, which is just talking about all the legislation that Democrats have passed in the last year and a half. Two years ago, you walked down the Las Vegas Strip and it was shuttered. And now we have seen our major economic driver have year after year uh, or month after month record revenues. We had the American Rescue Plan, the bipartisan infrastructure package, and then in the past couple months, we've seen the Inflation Reduction Act, gun policy, and she's really hit on everything that Democrats have done in Congress with Joe Biden as president and really just trying to to tout those legislative accomplishments. How does Lee see Biden? Is she going to be supporting him if he runs again? I, I know she didn't want to give him a grade, right? Where It seems like she doesn't want to take too much of a stance with Biden right now, right? You know, he ran on the fact that he was going to be a unifier and deliver bipartisan wins. 
And I think it's safe to say that he's been able to do that. Yeah, and she didn't vocalize much direct support for his potential re-election campaign, just saying, I'm, I'm focused on my own election right now. One of the dynamics of this race is that April Becker has continuously tried to tie Susie Lee to Joe Biden, who has a pretty negative underwater approval rating here in Nevada and nationally. And so if you look at fundraising emails from April Becker, a lot of them are going to mention Joe Biden. A lot of them are going to mention Nancy Pelosi, basically saying Susie Lee is just a part of this larger left wing movement problem with America, that Republican rhetoric. But really, you know, making a move to tie Susie Lee with those those couple Democrats. And Susie Lee, she's cast herself really as a, as a bipartisan lawmaker. She's a part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is a bipartisan group of lawmakers. People in Congressional District 3 are craving a pragmatic type of leader who's not afraid to roll up her sleeves to reach across the aisle and work on tough issues and deliver results. I do value uh, that ability to work across the aisle. But 538, they have this tracker of how members of Congress vote with Joe Biden. And so far this session, I I believe Susie Lee is one of scores of Democratic congressional members who has voted with Joe Biden 100 percent of the time. Yeah. So uh, moving on to April Becker, her opponent, we actually didn't get an interview with April Becker. She declined, but she did answer some questions over email. What are her main talking points? What's she running on right now? Inflation, inflation, inflation. It's been all about inflation for April Becker. Basically, Becker has just hammered Susie Lee, hammered the Democrats over high inflation. She's got an ad where she's at the at, at a gas pump. A lot of her fundraising emails are, are basically blaming Democrats for skyrocketing inflation and really key to her campaign has been inflation and the economy and just saying Democrats are are not doing enough are really the cause of this inflation. And and she's kind of tied that to excessive government spending. And and beyond that, she's hit on education as another key issue. She's a a big proponent of school choice. She's a parent, but she hasn't gone too in, in depth with some of these policies. A lot of them are kind of limited to what is available in the few paragraph blurbs on her website. She's a supporter of completing Trump's border wall at the, at the southern border. Talked a lot about how she thinks illegal immigrants are, are a problem. Even during the 2020 election, she ran for state senate and she parroted these, these claims of voter fraud in that election with a lawsuit actually seeking her own new election. But you look at it, an issue like abortion where she has said she would not support a nationwide abortion ban, which is contrary to some other hard right Republicans. She's basically said the Supreme Court said this should be left up to the states. So I, I think we should leave it up to the states. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about her history, too. So she's run for office before. But where, where does she come from? What, who, who is she as a person? Yeah. So she's originally from Texas. I, I think she moved here when she was 21. In her 30s, she decided she wanted to get her law degree, so she ended up doing that. That's that's tied to some of the businesses she's involved with. She has some ties to the gaming industry through her husband, and so now she's a a real estate lawyer based in in Las Vegas. All right. And then uh, just to wrap up, how close is this race looking between Becker and Lee? Yeah, I certainly think we're going to see 
more spending from both campaigns, more outside spending on this race, because it, it really is one of the, the tightest races in the country, especially as Republicans are, are looking to flip the House. It's one of those really vulnerable seats for Democrats that just given the political environment could very easily flip the other way. Some of the polling that we've seen so far, we've seen Lee up by maybe a point or two, maybe it's dead even, maybe Becker's up by a point or two, but basically it's all dancing around that margin of error, really tight race. Uh, You know, it could swing either way based on some undecided voters or based on how the turnout looks or just how the political environment shapes up over the next couple months before the election. Nevada is no stranger to the struggles of drug and substance abuse. In 2020, Nevada received a C grade for opioid overdose death rates, averaging 27.6 deaths per 100,000 residents. Now a group is looking to curb some of the danger of drug use by offering clean needles to users. And now in rural Elko, in the northeastern part of the state, in one of the basins of the Rolling Basin and Range Desert region, one resident is looking to help with that needle exchange program. Our former colleague Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez, who now reports for Kaiser Health News, has been reporting on this program and has more. All right, well, I am here with reporter Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez, a former Indy staff member, now a reporter for Kaiser Health News, but you are still doing some reporting in Nevada. So welcome back onto the podcast, Jasmine. We haven't talked in a little while. Yeah, thanks, Joey. It's great to be on the podcast again. Yeah, yeah. So before we get started on your story that you published, you, you published it with Kaiser Health News. We also published it on the Nevada Independent. But but what is Kaiser Health News? What are you doing over there now? Yeah, so Kaiser Health News is a national health news organization. It is independent, nonprofit, and completely unrelated to Kaiser Permanente. We get that question a lot. And I am part of a rural health team. From one nonprofit newsroom to another, we're, we're glad to see that you're still reporting in Nevada. Your, your reporting has always been really beneficial to the state. So it's really awesome that you're doing stories like this. And so the story that we co-published with you guys is about a needle exchange program that's going on in, in Elko. Explain to me what a needle exchange program is. So a needle exchange program functions in the way that what's called a peer recovery support specialist will have clean syringes and needles on hand. And so people who use needles to use drugs can find these people in these organizations and get clean needles from them. Since it is an exchange, most times these organizations, these people ask for their used needles and syringes in return so that they can dispose of them properly so that they're not littering the streets and, you know, getting picked up by like animals or children or you know, other people, things like that. And so the whole purpose of an exchange is to prevent and limit the spread of HIV or hepatitis C, because those are illnesses that are spread really easily by using contaminated needles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this is put on by a program called Track B. Is that based in Nevada? What is Track B exactly? Yeah. So Track B Exchange in Nevada, they are based in Las Vegas and they do a lot of harm reduction work in Las Vegas, you know, with the needle exchange. They also have services for sex workers in that area. 
they have a peer recovery support specialist. So it is a one-man operation. He works out of a small office. His name is Richard Cusolito. He's lived in Elko for 20 years now. It's kind of a stepping stone, right? Safer drug use means like, you know, less people dying. So tell me a little bit more about Richard and, and, and how he's been received in Elko. Is this program been, is it generally like people are excited that this is here to help people or is it more, are they wary? What, what's going on there? The first time I talked to Richard, one of the first things he told me was, you know, he was like, I hate talking about this because he said he gets so much flack for it, right? He said that in the beginning when he first started operating this program in Elko, he was trying to spread the word about it, right? And he was posting on Facebook about it and some Elko news groups where the community posts about different things going on. And so he was trying to post in that and he said he was just getting so many nasty comments and people, you know, accusing him of enabling people. And that's a big thing, right? When it comes to harm reduction programs like these, a lot of people who oppose these programs see it as enabling people who are using drugs. And, you know, even the people who work these programs agree that, you know, they are enabling, but they're enabling people to do it safely. Richard has experienced a good amount of pushback from people in the community. So I think he's, he hasn't really been trying to spread the word anymore. He's, you know, I think done trying to do that. He sees 100 to 150 people a month and he really relies on word of mouth. And so the people who are using drugs and getting clean syringes from him, they know where to find him. They know how to reach him. And among other people who use drugs, they spread the word so that people do this safely. So he, I would say that, you know, he's pretty well known among the people who need him. What, what makes Richard want to do this? Why is he, why has he chosen this, this path? You know, what, what, what drives him to help people? If you go to track the exchanges website and you go to the section of their website where it lists all of their staff and you find Richard Cusolito and it, you know, his like goal or dream that it has on there, his says, save the world. I really think that is his driving force, you know, it's just, he really wants to help people. He, before he was involved with Track B Exchange here, he was a part-time volunteer for FISH, which stands for Friends in Service Helping. And so that is a local organization in Elko that helps provide a lot of different services to ho the homeless people in the area. So he's really focused on just helping people where he can and where it's needed. I, I think something that has made it a little bit more challenging is the fact that he has lost someone to an overdose and that was his daughter. But, you know, he tried to help her the same that he's helped all of the clients that he works with. But, you know, losing his daughter hasn't stopped him from doing this work. And so I think that's just more of a testament to his motivation and drive to to do harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is the drug problems like out in Elko? Do you, you live out there, you know, is, is it is it something that is really affecting the community or or is it something that you don't you know notice on a day to day basis? Just living here on that day to day basis, it's not something that is super visible. It's not something that I've really seen in my day to day life. But according to Richard, it is a big problem. There's so many drugs available in the area. The thing with rural areas is that sometimes people in these areas work pretty heavy jobs like mining or construction where, you know, you can get injured. 
And so if you turn to painkillers that are highly addictive, that kind of starts a cycle of addiction. And so, you know, being such a huge mining town, I think that affects this area. Just the availability of it too is it's just easy to get. So it gets into people's hands one way or another. Is the opioid epidemic, you know, impacting Nevada? Is this drug problem, you know, prevalent in, in, in these areas? Yeah, I think it's it's been it's definitely been increasing in recent mm-hmm. years. And we've seen that in the data through the pandemic. We all saw stories from across the country that opioid use was just going up so much. And I mean, that's true for Nevada as well. Are there needle exchange programs in other parts of Nevada other than just Elko? There is a peer recovery support specialist in Winnemucca. And other than that, you know, there's definitely needle exchanges in Nevada's urban areas, in Vegas, and in Reno. So those are available there. Besides that, Track B Exchange, at least, has provide other services for harm reduction, like setting up vending machines that have clean syringes and needles and, you know, other things that people might need, like soap or, you know, condoms or menstrual products for women, things like that. All right, Jasmine, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm sure we'll be, we will be co-publishing more stories with you as, you as you work to report more out in rural Nevada on healthcare. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Joey. It was great to be on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Naoko Foreman, Sean Galanka, and Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez for being on the show this week. This show is produced and edited by Joey, with additional editing help from Jackie Valley. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us with your opinion on the use of CGI in the remastered version of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, or whatever else is on your mind, at podcast at thenbindy.com. Our original theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks and original music from Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. I'm going to check my microphone just to feel good. Yeah. All right. How now, brown cow? Unique New York. <laughs> Unique New York. Okay. I think cool. we're good.